It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 618 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I'm honored to be joined on my third show of the new year by my guest today. Joining me is Jeff Davis. Jeff is the founder of the Sales and Marketing Alignment Summit, as well as a consultant, coach, and keynote speaker. Now, today we're going to be talking about, and this is no surprise if you're just paying attention, we're going to be talking about sales and marketing alignment. And how do we bridge that gap between sales and marketing? In our conversation, we're not going to dwell so much on the why of sales and marketing alignment as much as the how. Now, the why, well, that should be patently obvious to everyone at this point. So, assuming we have agreement on that point, then we're going to talk about how do we make it happen within an organization? Who needs to sponsor this initiative? Who has to be involved to make sure that it happens, that the relationships are coordinated and the right goals are targeted and achieved? In other words, how can sales and marketing share the business intelligence they've both captured and use that together to generate more qualified leads and more closed deals? So you want to stick around. Make sure you check this one out. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, as always, go to antipaul.com. In this case, antipaul.com forward slash 618. Now, before I talk with Jeff, let me remind you that if you haven't already signed up to receive my periodic emails, then you're really missing out. You know, I save some of my best advice about sales, leadership, marketing, relationships, resilience, and character the character of what salespeople need to have for my subscribers. So visit antipaul.com right now to subscribe. Okay, let's get at it. Jeff Davis, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. That's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I've been trying to get this set up for a long time. So um, you're joining us from where? Chicago today? That is true. I'm here in Chicago. Chicago, one of my favorite cities. Thank you. I, I love it as well. We are actually having really nice weather. Uh, stereotypically, fall does not last long here. So I am praying that this uh, kind of mild, chilly weather uh, stays around before we plummet it into winter. Yeah. I mean, for those of us who grew up in the upper Midwest, you know, the, <laughs> once there was an expression about the weather up there, which was that, uh, yeah, 10 months of winter and two months of bad skating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it's felt like that when I was a kid. So, um, well, good. Well, again, welcome. And so, standard question I open up the show with for my guests is, in your opinion, what's what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? You know, really, I when I think about it, I think it's about engagement. Right? It's about how to have a compelling conversation with prospects that shares the the information that you want to give them about your product or service and gets them to want to talk to you. There's so much noise. There's so many people doing the same thing. There's so many people trying to use gimmicks. It's like, how do you engage with prospects, prospects I should say, in a meaningful way? And I mean, that's always been a challenge for salespeople, right? I mean, that's, that's, yeah. not, that's always been challenge number one. Is it more difficult these days, in I, your opinion? I, I think it's more difficult, especially in the B2B space. And the reason I say that is that, you know, everybody is trying to accelerate growth and they are really just flooding the market with all of these, which basically the same thing, right? Look at my product. Look at me. Do this. Oh, I didn't hear from you last week. Is something wrong you know, with you, your email? Like it's the same cadence. 
And so a lot of buyers have become numb and the numbers prove it, right? The response rates on outbound emails are continuing to decline. So what that means is to me at least is that there is an oversaturation of outbound emails or communication with these prospects because it's 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 not it's not turning into a conversation, a compelling conversation that leads to to closing necessarily. So um, I think the challenge is that as as a rep, I may do all the right things as I've been laid out to me in this process, but I'm not getting the desired results, or at least at the scale that I want to. Yeah, it's fair. It's an interesting question because, as you said, there's a lot of noise out there and abuse of the tools and technologies that we've given our sales teams and marketing teams to 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 reach out uh, and engage with people. But yeah, there's there's people on both sides. I was reading an, an article uh, recently from I forget which magazine, maybe Entrepreneur or something like that, from an email expert just saying, "Problem is, you know, not necessarily problem." But he said, "You know, we're not sending enough emails." <laughs> and he's got some data to sort of support that. To saying that even unopened emails have a potentially beneficial effect on the customer. And it's even just seeing them, the fact that you've sent mail and they see a subject line creates a level of awareness that actually drives drives business at some levels. Um, I, I wonder whether it, <laughs> it seems like we're sort of flailing to some degree and that we really, we don't know. We, I don't think that we do. And, and, I, and I think that article is interesting because when I look at my time in sales, there may be some validity to that. Like maybe I should double my number of emails I sent out. But the reality of things is we only have a finite amount of time that we work. I mean, in some cases, if we work 24-7, 365, yeah, I may in, in marginally increase my sales effectiveness. But is doubling the amount of emails I send really getting at the core problem, right? Um, <laughs> I wasn't advocating it, but I was saying, yeah, that was just... Yeah, I just don't think that we're robots. And so I, I always... As we could sales, soon be, though. We could be, but then we wouldn't have this problem. The robots would just reprogram them and they'd do what they're supposed to do. But my thing is, I've always led with the lens of... Am, let me step back. My most effective or most important asset is time. And so I am always reevaluating uh, critically, am I being the most effective with my time? In this hour block, do I you know, call 10 people or do I send 60 emails? And I, I, I'm always just trying to make sure that I feel like this activity is giving me the most ROI. Um, so that's where I would kind of struggle with, do we send more emails? Mm, I don't know. Well, but I think that's so the, the real point of it was, yeah, what is the best thing to do? Yeah. yeah, and I think that that one of the things we're seeing all the time in sales, and this is not new, is is that there's sort of one prescription that people are trying to apply to a myriad of different situations. And when we should be doing is saying, look, we need to find a way to really sort of see what works for each situation, right? Each company, you know, the process may necessarily be different than the next companies because the product they sell, the way they sell, it's not identical to what other people are doing. And so it seems like people are afraid to trust their own instincts these days. And so they're saying, okay, rather than trust my instincts, but this is the way that I feel comfortable about doing business. I read these books and they all say we should do it this way. So let's do it this way. 
So it goes back to sales being you know, art and a science, right? And so I, I don't feel, and then, so I put my marketing hat on and, and by virtue that I've been on both sides of the fence, I simultaneously think with both brains. I don't know that on the sales side of the house, if we're spending enough time truly understanding the buyer or buyers, market, marketers stereotypically think in personas. And those are not just demographics. Those are these are our buyer types, whether they be three or five. And we clearly understand what is important to them, why they buy, what are the messages that resonate with them, what do you need to say to get them engaged. I feel like we, you know, especially now with the SDRs and new reps coming in, we just trust that that one templated message will will resonate with each different persona. And we're not really digging into this solution really hits upon these three to five people in these types of businesses. Well, each one of those people probably need to hear something different or probably their, their leading reason for buying is different. And if we're not talking to that, then we're really not connecting, right? And so using that templated, you know, touch point one, two, three, four, five, that cadence, the exact same one for different personas may not be the right way to go. Well, I think it's not the right thing to do, even within a persona. I mean, I, I wrote an article a couple weeks ago for my weekly newsletter, which I said, we, we sell to people, not personas. Mm-hmm. And, but it's true. I mean, yeah, somebody could be identified and grouped under a, a persona or a category or whatever we want to call it. But the fact is, each individual you speak to is going to be different. And, yeah, so, but- and so one of the things that, that I observe that's that's being lost and just sort of the, the methodologies that we're rolling out is we put such an emphasis on, Hey, here's the communications for this persona. You know, here's the content, here's the messaging at this point in time is that they don't pay attention to the fact that, yeah, they, they're different people. Everyone I deal with, with of this type, as I go through, they're different people. The questions need to be phrased slightly differently. The way I you know perceive what they're doing, the way they perceive me is going to be a little bit different. And yet, you know, we want to cookie cutter it, and the, that's an issue. It's a problem. It's a challenge. It is a challenge, and I think you especially see it in high growth companies, especially tech. That while I agree with you, and I and I don't know that those folks would disagree with you, it's how do you scale that? How do you scale that approach? How do we scale in a way that we are being we're recognizing that we're talking to individuals? Uh, but we we also need to to accelerate growth in a really really quick time frame, depending on how you're funded and that sort of thing. And so I think that's where the challenge comes into is is leveraging and thinking about those two things, which um, don't always agree with each other as far as your approach. Well, I, th- I think it is one of the central challenges. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, you know, we look at tech and SaaS and so on, and yeah, I mean some. Some number of companies are succeeding, just as you always do, right? I mean, I, I'm not sure that that the sales model that we we have for SaaS is enabling more companies to succeed than previous sales models did. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective and the work that I do around aligning sales and marketing is what I also think that needs to be addressed that people aren't necessarily uh, talking about is when you're moving that quickly. Um, how do you communicate to each other in a way that you are able to capture market intelligence or business intelligence that you can implement? 
right? So sales is getting a lot of information, the marketing is getting a lot of information, but are they are they sharing that between you know over over the fence so that we can make a change, iterate, and then change strategy? And so there's always this delay when you're moving that fast of us actually putting our heads together, talking about what you see, what I see, and then iterating and changing to your point, maybe it's those scripts or maybe it's the personas or how we talk to people. I think that's what we need to spend more time of working together because we are seeing the market, you know, in a different, in a different way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, we meaning sales and marketing. So yeah, used an interesting word. You said the fence. (laughs) And so, um, Referring to, the, referring to the division between sales and marketing. So that's one of the topics we're going to talk about today is sales and marketing alignment is certainly one of the things you're passionate about, you work a lot on. Um, and as you talk about it, in your writing, it's, alignment is not you know, a technology issue. We're seeing certain sort of technical solutions come in the market that people think, hey, this will solve the alignment issue. But it's really, it's a people issue mm-hmm. at heart. So tell yes. us about that. So when I started my work, so the the reason I started the Sales and Marketing Alignment Summit was I found that as as someone that had worked on both you know both aisles both sides of the aisle I should say um, I found that sales got it sometimes marketing got it sometimes but what I knew to be almost always correct is that they didn't get each other and so all I was really seeing in the market was sales conferences where salespeople could talk to other salespeople marketing conferences where marketing people could talk to other marketing people but there wasn't this forum for us to come together as sales and marketing leaders and talk about how to do it better. And so when I, I looked at that as a missed opportunity and I said, I want to create a space where we can come together and share our challenges as a unified group. And, and instead of just d- identifying problems and talking about why it doesn't work, start to talk about solutions and how we can do it better. Because if you really look at it, I, in my opinion, there's no more, there's no more, there's no two more interdependent groups within the organization than sales and marketing. Um, they are highly dependent on each other, depending on your business. And they, the work that they do independently can be leveraged in such a meaningful way for the other, other person. Um, I continually run into salespeople that don't understand marketing, don't know what they do, and don't really understand how to leverage the work that comes out of marketing to help them sell more. And that for me is a miss. It's a huge miss. Well, uh, and I, yeah, they don't, I would say it differently, they just don't care. Right. So, <laughs> they don't care because they don't understand what it, looks like, what it looks like when it's right, right? They don't understand that, you know, we can help you with territory planning. They can help you with messaging and things that, all that stuff that comes out of marketing, that marketing just uses to market, like, I can actually use that stuff to make my job easier. So, let's dig into some practicalities because, yeah, you know, I've had a number of guests on the show talking about this this topic that, yeah, a lot of people are interested in it. You know, we always get a large number of people listening to those episodes, um, including some people that you reference and some work that you do. So, how do you go about creating these these connections? This, this is, you know, we talk about relationships and sales being a relationship business. I mean, at the core of making sales marketing alignment work, it seems like you got to sort of get over some of the longstanding perceptions and animosities that have existed and say, okay, yeah, we have to reset this relationship. So how do you go about that? What are the practical steps companies can take? Yeah, so as I have continued to do work in this space, it really comes down to the CEO has to be on board for a sales and marketing alignment initiative, uh, period, point blank. Um, 
to your point, I've I've heard you as other people say, like, you know, initially coming into this, we thought it was a tech problem. And there's, that's great. We have all these tech solutions and they're, you know, continuing to accelerate out the market, but they're not fixing the problem. So that to me means it's a people issue. And the, the rift between sales and marketing is a longstanding one for many reasons, which we'll not get to uh, in this phone call. And in order to change that, the CEO has to start communicating to the organization how we are going to move forward, how we as a sales and marketing uh, functions within the business are going to work together to drive revenue. And so what, you know, our last summit here this summer we talked about is, you know, how do you build the business case for a CEO? Because I do believe that the VP of sales and the CMO have to come together to really put their heads together to work around how do we pull this business case to inform our CEO that this is going on. So depending on what type of CEO you have, you have finance driven CEO, sales guy, marketing guy, whatever it is, they may or may not be aware that, that this is as much a problem as it is. And I think when you start the conversation is, what is the cost of misalignment? What are we losing first? And we have more and more data that you, know, you could extrapolate to understand like lost revenue. And then we can talk about what are the strategies. So how, do you, the, how, how are people truly measuring lost revenue from lack of alignment. I mean, I understand there's there's lots of estimates we see out there, CEB, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, yeah a lot of that is, is self-reported, right? I mean, is there anything that's that's real evidentiary? <laughs> you know, it's that's, tough, right? That's a tough one. And, that, and I think that's what makes this so difficult because how do you account for something that we didn't do? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and especially if you were in an organization where we are making money. We may not be growing as fast as we want to. How do you convince somebody that by changing this attitude and how people perceive each other, which is a very somewhat of a soft qualitative thing, how is that going to lead to quantitative metric increase for the business? This is, it's tough. It's really tough because you're basically trying to convince somebody that I need you to believe in this qualitative thing that you need to change, and there will be a quantitative output that you can prove. Well, but for a CEO, though, and what are the costs, you know, what are the hard investments they have to make in alignment that they're not already paying for? Well, the cost associated, it may be a technology cost as far as, you know, how can you expect somebody to work together if sales and marketing are, are two different technologies? So depending on, you know, the, the industry that the business is in, the age of the business, there may be just some functional core, like we are not using the same data sets. So marketing is using one data set, sales is using another data set. So you can't even start to talk about having aligned goals because the numbers we're looking at aren't even the same. And so it depends on the business. And so that's a, that's a different conversation to say, we've got to invest in updating our technology and our platform so that we are you know, using the same CRM or whatever that is to even be able to, as two organizations, to start looking at what does revenue really look like? What is, you know, close, what does the conversion rate look like? What does all that stuff really look like to get a real view of the funnel? And I think, you know, I think a lot of companies don't have a accurate view of the funnel and it's a lot of work depending on, uh, you know, like I said, the industry and the age of the business. Sure. But if you're a CEO and, and I agree, it's, I think it's, it's a cultural thing really for the CEO in terms of sales market alignment. But I'm just wondering, you're talking about putting together a business case for the CEO. Yeah. I mean, I mean, can you envision a case where, where 
you know, a VP of marketing, a CMO and a CRO go to CEO and say, you know, we've got this problem. We really need to enhance, you know, the sales marketing alignment. And the CEO goes, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's where we are for a lot of people. I mean, I've well, heard this. From why, why, would, why would a CEO say no? Well, I think that it depends what you're asking, right? So if sales and marketing isn't necessarily getting along, which we know is not a new thing, it's always been the case, and we are driving revenue, well, you need to prove to me that I need to allocate resources to make this better. What does that look like? Or you have some organizations where the CEO have pitted sales and marketing against each other specifically to say, well, whoever wins has the right, you know, has the better solution. And so I was reading... Uh, a line to achieve. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that with. Well, no, I've, had, I've, I've had Tracy and Andrea both on the show. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. The, the authors, Tracy Eiler and Andrea Austin. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 talked about it in their book, and where the case is, you have some CEOs that have pitted sales and marketing against the other to say, well, you guys will fight it out and you'll figure out the best solution. I'm going to focus on other things. So I think that many CBOs have said no to this. Um, this is why we're continuing to have this conversation. If it was that easy, this would have been taken care of some time ago. Like this is not a new phenomena that is, you know, popping up, you know, in 2017, this has always historically been an issue. So it is, it has not gotten to a critical point where CEOs is like, yes, I'm on board for that. It just hasn't. Yeah. Well, I think part of the, part of the challenges is, yeah, everybody's aware of sort of the longstanding rivalry between sales and marketing. It's, I think to the point you talked about, it's not just saying, okay, quantifying what the missed opportunity is. Cause I think that that's, not as persuasive as saying, hey, here's the upside to alignment. And yeah. making that case in a, such a way that, that it is compelling and it is quantifiable. And I think, I think that also depends on the personality of the CEO, right? Some people respond better to what is the opportunity that we have if we do this. But for those that may be unaware of truly the disconnect, you then need to have a message around this is the missed opportunity if we don't do something or what I like refer to as the cost of misalignment. Um, and so I think it depends on the personality of the organization and the culture and that sort of thing. But either way, it's getting at the same thing. What, what, I, what I get to when we talked about at the last summit is that you know, the VP of sales and, and the, uh, the CMO just can't walk into the CEO's office and expect him to say, you know, yes, you guys can do whatever you want to align sales and marketing. I think it's a great idea. I think that's unrealistic. I just think it's unrealistic. Yeah, well, I think depending on the organization, I mean, I think that that there are certain things that they should be doing that don't require CEO approval, <laughs> and and some of those we can we can talk about. I mean, you've you sort of pulled some of those from uh, Align to Achieve and the research CEB did. And you referenced an article you've written about uh, sort of the biggest challenges. You know, one being communication. Right. So, yeah, I've had guests on the show. They talk about yeah, we've got uh, every time I have a sales meeting. There's, you know, senior level person for marketing in the sales meeting. You know, we're talking about issues that sales are confronting relative to content and availability of content and, you know, the right content, blah, da, 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 da. And likewise, when marketing has, you know, their meetings, there's a representative from sales there when they're talking about priorities and what they need to develop and the like. I think, though, it goes, I don't think it's to the point of where the CEO needs to approve everything. What I think is in any major initiative in the organization, you need a sponsor, and for something like this, the CEO needs to be the sponsor of this. You have a lot of senior sales and marketing folks that have grown up in the old school way of doing things, and they're continuing to promote and perpetuate that old combative, toxic relationship with colleagues. 
some of the, the younger folks that are coming up through the organization are getting it and are open and, and want to work together. But if your leadership is continuing to say, well, I'm a marketer, I don't need sales, or sales says, well, the marketing folks, they don't really do anything, that message is gonna permeate throughout the organization. So it takes the leadership and the voice and the communication from the top, which is the CEO, to say that we're gonna do things differently and for everybody, you need to get on board because this is the way the organization's going. I don't feel that the VP of sales or the CMO would have the gravitas or the pull to be able to pull the whole organization to say, we're going to do this. And then you also run the risk of who leads it. Is it the VP of sales? Is it the CMO? And there's implications to that. Of if it's a CMO-led initiative, then it probably is going to skew marketing, right? And so that's why I say the CEO has to be the sponsor of this type of initiative to really say, we are all now moving in this direction and you have to get on board. Again, don't disagree. What my point was is that in the absence of that, you don't do nothing, right? In the absence of CEO involvement, if you're a self-aware C, yeah, CMO or self-aware VP of sales, and you know you build that relationship with the other side, and you start doing what you can to affect change. True. I would just I would just argue that while you can do some things and move the needle and move forward, that ultimately is not going to fix the issue in the long run. And so it depends how you're looking at it. If you're looking for short-term wins to start moving in that direction, there's absolutely things you can do, as you indicated about you know bringing senior senior marketing folks to sales meeting and vice versa, having marketing sit on sales calls, all those things, right? Those are great things to, to start changing that, that culture. But what I, what I always reiterate is that is not going to lead to a long-term fix. What I am indicating about bringing the CEO to, to drive that is talking long-term fix where we stay. I just feel that if we are doing those kind of tactical things while they're good, and I think they need to happen anyway, those are short-term fixes. And a lot of people with you know, a lot of the technology and things that are coming up and these tactical things, I don't think that they're bad. I think they're great. But are those going to lead to long-term changes in the organization? And I would, I, I would say probably not. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I don't disagree about the need for the CEO to be enrolled, as I said before. I think that that, that certainly facilitates the process. But I've been in many, many, many organizations, either a direct employee or as a you know, senior level, senior man, manager at the company, senior executive, or as a consultant, consulting with CEOs, where, where I think, you know, under, I sort of underestimates the role of middle management plays in a lot of organizations and making things happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the absence of, of that, you know, I'll still say you should be doing what you can to build the relationships across the fence, as you talked about, yep. work on communications, which I think is, you know, it's hard to align processes without some higher level sponsorship metrics. Those are problematic because especially if people have incentives tied to metrics, then, you know, that needs to come from CEO. But there's a lot that can be done just in terms of the basic relationship building, start building trust between the two sides that, that needs to take place even in the absence of some major alignment initiative. Yeah. Well, oh, I also think there's a need for more empathy. And I think, when I look at what I share with, with sales leaders and marketing leaders is that a lot of times it's not that sales folks don't want to work with marketing or um, don't see the value of marketing. They just don't understand what marketing does for them. They have no empathy of the work that goes into the initiatives that are done. And a lot of that becomes from education, from leadership to explain to them, marketing, just don't come in and tell us what you do. 
Tell us how what you do helps me sell more. And I don't know that we're having enough of those conversations uh, throughout the organization because I would say most salespeople have no idea what marketers do. And marketers, all their perception of what salespeople do, uh, a lot of times is, is either dead wrong or is, is fatally flawed. And so I think it's just, we, to your point about, we need to create a simple sense of empathy between these two groups so that they have a respect for each other and start to understand how what each other does affects them in a positive way and helps them do their job better. Yeah, well, I, th- I think one way to sort of look at this, and maybe we just take a stab at it in the few minutes we have left, is is that you know, can we ever have alignment as long as we have sales and marketing as separate silos? I mean, uh, so you know, as people looking at the whole process of digital transformation and what that means for the organization, certainly we've seen the responsibilities of marketing evolve from sort of strictly sort of branding, awareness building to you know, hands-on lead generation. Um, you know, in some cases, even managing SDR teams and so on. You know, and assuming the SDRs are you know part of lead gen, which they fundamentally yep. are. Yep. Is you know the responsibilities have changed quite a bit. Is is doesn't make sense really even still to have these old constructs of sales and marketing. I, I've mentioned this before on the show that one person who'd been on a guest said, yeah, you really have to rethink the organization and say, look, we've got from sales and marketing, there's really sort of two primary responsibilities. One is acquisition, one is retention. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we have maybe a third organization that does branding and awareness building, but that could be a pretty small organization, right? Is, is from an acquisition retention, you know, okay, what's an acquisition organization look like? What's your retention yeah. organization look like? And that then starts breaking down those walls that have existed for a long time. Yeah, and this is a really tough one that I think that we all struggle with. I know I personally struggle with it. Of, of As we start to transform these the organization, what does this relationship look like? Um, I think there are some fundamental things that marketers do that marketers should do. And I think there's some fundamental things that salespeople do they should do. And so I've been asked the question, well, should salespeople just be mini marketers? And I... My gut tells me that, no, I want salespeople out in the field talking to customers, having a great story, explaining why the solution or product is relevant to what they need and et cetera. Um, And then marketers are having, you know, more awareness, broad, telling the story to to groups. And so I just struggle with making sales, turning salespeople into many marketers and turning marketers into many salespeople. I, I don't know if we're leveraging people's interests and skill sets uh, to the to to the best of our abilities if we just start doing that. Start doing well, turning Ask, them in. Yeah, but I but I right, but yeah. I think that wasn't really the point of saying, hey, we have an acquisition organization. Got a lot of different skill sets in there. What what are the different roles within acquisition? Well, hey, marketing as as lead gen, that's one role, right? Mm-hmm. It could be depending on what organization you're in, the industry, it could be of an SDR team inside sales. Uh, you know, part of it being an SDR, proactive business development, following up on leads. I mean, but if they're all on the same team, suddenly that's a different way of looking at things because there's a flow to it. Right now, there's a flow, but the flow is interrupted by a handoff. Well, you, get right. rid, you sort of get rid of those handoffs in the same sense, right? They're not crossing the river sticks now as they have to now. Now it's, you know, if they're all in the same organization, it's, it's just from one teammate to another. But if you have acquisition and you have retention, I think that you still didn't have a, a trade-off, right, between those two. I mean, are we are we really breaking down that wall or are we just creating two, calling it something different? What's the role marketing plays in retention? It's a different, it's a different role, right? So it's, yeah. 
that'd be a different set of skill sets in there. Again, that's just one thought, right? Is, is yeah. that sorry how you break yeah. it down? But it, it's it's interesting, though. It is interesting. I just I just wonder if we're replacing words to mean something slightly different, but there dif- there seems to be a a trade off or sorry a handoff I should say between those two kind of proposed things. So we'd have sure. to think we have to think about that more. But yeah, it's it it's tough. It's a tough one. And but I I do see the business transforming in some way. Do I know what that is? I don't I don't know if anybody I don't know if anybody's any of us have the exact answer of how this relationship should right. transform, but it, it obviously is going to have to uh, in order to to uh, to be successful with the new buyer. Okay. Well, Jeff, unfortunately, I run out of time, but a great note to end on. So tell people how they can learn about what you're doing and connect with you. Sure. The uh, best way to find me is to go directly to my blog at jeffdavis2.com. Uh, I have information there about uh, what I do. I coach and consult uh, companies to help them understand how to do this better. Uh, also, I have a blog there as well as the Sales and Marketing Alignment Summit. Uh, that's always updated to let folks know when the next summit is happening. Which, um, is, also, which is when? Uh, it'll Right now, it's scheduled for next June, so June of 2018. In Chicago? Uh, but, yeah, in Chicago. So we are currently only in Chicago as uh, to date. Uh, but there are uh, plans in the near future to be expanding to other major cities like in New York, San Francisco, or Boston. So um, that is all in the works as we speak. Excellent. All right, Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back, join us for the next great episode of Accelerate. Uh, until then, if you get a chance, go to iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast, and please subscribe. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 